Today's episode of the Gaucho 9 podcast is brought to you by our friends at Kyle's Kitchen. Check out their GoFundMe campaign to help feed families in need at kyleskitchen.com slash givingback. During these uncertain times, Kyle and the Gauchos are doing their part to give back to the community. The Gauchos are giving back in ways uh, like social media and this podcast. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter, UCSB underscore baseball. Check out the podcast on Instagram, UCSB Gaucho 9 podcast. And check out Gaucho Analytics on Twitter, SB Baseball Data. Well, I'm particularly excited about this podcast today. It's the first guy who we've had on who is not a player and he's not a coach. And this is a story about setting goals, not being afraid to divert from those goals and taking a chance. This is Marcos Cuiar who was a Gaucho undergrad under Coach Bronsima and then came back, got his master's degree in Latin American studies. He worked under Coach Chekets in 2014. And he's now one of the top international scouts for the Boston Red Sox. And he spent a time away from the game, but because it's baseball, and baseball is a way of pulling people back. He was drawn back to the game. Baseball was drawn to him because he was applying things like sociology, politics, culture, and history to sports, and particularly baseball, and also in particular baseball in Latin America. And now that baseball is an international sport, it's so important that we can understand cultures and histories and where people come from and their different backgrounds. And Marcus saw that early on, and he pursued it, and really has been very successful, and it's been it's, it was really fun to talk to him. We had a great conversation, had some fun talking about the World Baseball Classic, his travels throughout the world, uh, South America, Central America, the Caribbean, and Asia, and just his path from being a gaucho to working in the Santa Barbara County Courthouse to being a gaucho again and then being part of the Boston Red Sox. So, this is a great story, and Marcus, he's an academic, he's very well-spoken, and I'm really happy to share this with the Gaucho community. So here we go. This is Marcus Cuiar. It's one of the most beautiful views of any campus in America, the Pacific Ocean crashing against the shores of UC Santa Barbara every morning, noon, and night. Here's the one-strike pitching. Mitchell belts us to deep left. Cabrera is going to watch it fly. He strikes out the side for the second consecutive inning. And Armani belts it to deep center. Gauchos are going to Omaha. Can you believe it? Here's the 0-2 pitch. And a curveball is swung on him. And the score is two. Here comes Mitchell. He's going to score. And the Gauchos are the 2019 champions of the Midwest. All right, today we have a really cool podcast for you. Our guest today is a scout for the Boston Red Sox. He's currently the coordinator for international scouting out of Modesto. He was an undergrad at UCSB between 2004 and 2007, came back, got his master's in Latin Latin American studies in 2014. And I think this one is kind of a unique pod because he's not necessarily a baseball lifer. He's out of baseball for a while and came back and found himself working at Fenway Park. But please welcome to the Gaucho Non Podcast, Marcus Cuellar. What's up, Marcus? How you doing, Kevin? Appreciate you having me on, man. Well, I, w- I was really hoping 
that you would be in your office at Fenway, but <laughs> you're at your house, which is down the street, and you you could probably turn your computer and, and show me like the light sensors or something because you're pretty yeah, close. Yeah, my window faces the opposite direction, but if I, yeah, if I step out the building, I I could point the camera and you'd see it right there. Okay, so you're the coordinator for international scouting, and we moved this recording to after the the draft because you were heavily involved and you've been involved for the last handful of years. But what was the the draft process like this year? Because obviously, unforeseeable circumstances, and it's a shortened draft. But what were things like leading up and then on draft day for you? Yeah, definitely, uh, definitely a unique year as far as the draft goes. Um, you know typically I'm kind of more of a fly on the wall kind of status when it comes to the draft. You know, I get to observe, sit in the draft room, get to sit in the war room, you know, see all the magnets moving, moving around, that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, this year was kind of more of a all hands on deck, uh, given the, the rare rarity of the situation. Um, you know, just from an administrative standpoint, you know, I, I wasn't out on the road scouting, um, anything like that. Um, I was, you know, up until the point we got shut down, um, with the coronavirus, you know, I was, I was scouting on the international side, but, um, yeah, as soon as, uh, we knew what the draft was going to be looking like the format of it and all that kind of stuff, uh, you know, we tried to start thinking about ways that we could differentiate ourselves. And one of the things that we, we came up with as a department is, uh, you know, creating these, uh, connections with as many players as possible through, uh, a lot of teams have talked about them now, uh, but like zoom meetings, uh, you know, where we get to present to the, to the, you know, number of different players, what our organization like, what the culture is like, what the development pipeline is like, how we set goals and how we, um, you know, set, set our ind individualized goals for each player and, and try to get them all to the, to, uh, you know, to the big leagues. Um, and so, you know, the role I got to play this year, which is, uh, again, a unique role, something first time that we've ever done, um, was I was kind of the coordinator of all of the um, actual presentations themselves. So we had guys um, who were kind of like the script writers, um, guys who were like in charge of the, the, the messaging that we were working on. Um, our analytics team was putting together some of the, the more detailed slides and that kind of stuff, but the final composition and organization kind of design of the presentation itself kind of fell on my lap. Um, so I ended up uh, creating uh, just short of 70 individual presentations that, that we gave to, to players. Wow. Um, I, yeah, I think, it, I think we're still below 70 because uh, we've done some, you know, ever since the, uh, the undrafted free agent process started up as well, we've, we've added some more, but I think we're still under 70. So right about 70, uh, presentations total that we've given, uh, to individual players. And, and like I said, you know, it wasn't like a cookie cutter kind of situation where I'm just copying and pasting in the presentation. These are, they were each individualized kind of a presentation. So making sure they got the names in the right spots and, you know, make sure that individual slides, uh, where they need to be. That's, that was kind of what fell on my plate for the draft this year. Um, and overall, I mean, uh, it was an exciting draft. Uh, I wish it had gone on for many more rounds, but uh, it, it was an exciting time. Uh, and, and like I said, albeit very different, uh, given the fact that we were all doing it over Zoom. Yes, Zoom has been, it's been the way. It's been <laughs> the way over the last three months. Uh, but it's, it's working great for stuff like this because I connect with you because you're in Boston and I'm here in Santa Barbara. But I, I want to get the listeners you know, just an idea of who you are, because you weren't a player, you were, you were a manager, a student manager in your, your couple different stints at UC Santa Barbara. And, but you, you worked under Bob Bronsma back in 04 to 07. And then you were a manager with coach Checkets in 2014. So 
when people are looking at the title of the pod, Marcus Cuellar, like, who is this guy? Well, I mean, you were you were one of the grunts. You were one of the guys that that was doing it for for love of the game, and you know, you played in high school, and you you tried to play in college, but it didn't really work out. But you you took this this very interesting path, and I think it's one of the beauties of the game, and it's it's one of the like uh, things that I've stumbled upon in my career, just like all the different stories about how people wind up where, where they are, especially in the game of baseball. But back in high school, you were a pitcher. And when you came to UCSB, you, you tried to walk on, but can you tell me about your baseball past and, and, you know, where you came from? Cause you grew up in Modesto, you're yep. of, uh, of Mexican descent and yes. like, how'd you get to UCSB and why'd you sure. become a manager under bronze? Yeah, so, uh, you know, like I said, uh, born and raised in Modesto, Central Valley kid, uh, played a ton of uh, sports growing up, but, you know, really honed in on baseball uh, come my high school year, especially come my junior year, I stopped playing other sports and solely dedicated to baseball because that's when the travel th- travel teams and all that kind of stuff came on too. So, I mean, uh, starting my junior year in high school, it was it was nonstop baseball year round uh, with, with the travel teams. Um, you know, we're playing up and down California, but also out of state, uh, did some tournaments in, in Nevada and Texas and Florida and, and Hawaii. I mean, it was kind of jumping all over the place uh, with this kind of a, you know, I, I, I guess I hesitate a little bit to call it this, but we were very much like a, a Central Valley, like around Modesto area kind of all-star team. So we had kids from Ripon, from Tracy, um, from, from, uh, I think we had some kids out of Turlock. Um, but you know, that whole central like Modesto area is kind of where, uh, we drew our, our team from. So yeah, pitched and played a little middle infield on, on that team. Um, you know, and like I said, for, for better or worse, I, I, I got to, uh, get all of my pitching in, in those few years. Um, because by the time I was done, uh, in high school, I had, uh, labor issues. I had, uh, UCL issues and, uh, so yeah, it was a very much a futile attempt to do to walk on at Santa Barbara uh, when I when I came as an undergrad there, uh, but I gave it a shot. It didn't work out. Um, you know, when I when I started at Santa Barbara, and I, I intended to uh, well, I entered in pre med and did a full year as pre med. So I, I intended to be a doctor, and that was kind of really the main thing that I was focusing on. Uh, you know, coming out of high school was. Uh, you know, I chose UCSB because of the academics. Um, you know, I could have, you know, tried walking on at other schools, uh, you know, at D2, D3 programs where I might have had a shot. But the bigger focus for me at the time was academics and uh, baseball came second. And uh, I mean, like I said, I was kind of blown out by that point anyway, so it wasn't going to matter either way. Um, so, yeah, when, after after my, you know, very poor and failed attempt at, at walking on there at Santa Barbara, you know, as a 5'10", 150-pound, you know, freshman, um, trying to out for a, a D1 program as a pitcher and just never going to match up right. But, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't ready to give up baseball yet. You know, it was one of those things that I've been doing just nonstop for, for really three years at that point. And I wasn't ready to just kind of take baseball out of my life at that point. So um, I asked Bronson and the staff there, uh, Tom Myers was another one of the coaches that was there. Um, uh, you know, if, if they had a student manager position available and, uh, you know, they mentioned at the time that they didn't really have anything like that, but, you know, if I wanted to come out and help out with ground balls, fungos, uh, you know, throwing BP, whatever, like they'll, they'll take the help. Right? And so I jumped at that. Uh, and so it was kind of something that we kind of created on the fly there. Um, 
And, uh, you know, I got to be involved with that. Uh, that would have been the 2005 uh, UCSB team. Um, and uh, yeah, yeah, so, so when you say, so you're, when I refer to my friends, when I was a student manager in 2012, 2013, I refer to them as the OG managers, so the, the original <laughs> gangsters. But, but you were, you know, and maybe the modern, you know, UC Santa Barbara baseball program sense of things, like you were the original suit of manager because it, it, it wasn't really a position at that time. Yeah. Uh, I, I, they might've just been like, you know, there might've been a couple guys who before me or anything like that, but there was no formalized position. There wasn't like a, you know, an undergrad assistant. There was nothing like that at all. And it was just, they told me like, Hey, you know, if you can work out your schedule to, to, to make the practices, by all means come to all the practices you can. If you can make it so you can be on a road trip, like great, you know, you know, we'll, we'll you know, get you a room. Uh, for certain road trips and you know you'll get a meal money you know but it's it's a very like uh informal kind of position it's just if you can help out we'll we'll take the help you know that's really what it was back in back in 05 that's sweet and i i just had Andy graham on and yeah. i've talked about i've talked with bronze about those years as well but so you andy would have been on that team and chris malik would have been on that team yep yeah, so Chris Vileka, like what, what mm-hmm. were some of the moments uh, that you guys had? It was I mean, maybe you could start with the Chris Mallet game. That's pretty smart, <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean that's I, I'm sure if you had Andy on, I'm sure he told you a little bit about that situation. But it's one of the more incredible things I've ever seen happen on a baseball field. So that that was a uh, Chris Mallet senior year. I think Andy Graham was a junior. I think uh, Brian Tracy would have been a junior that year, and Chris Vileka was a sophomore. Um, I believe, uh, you know, started shortstop there. But anyways, uh, Chris Malik, um, early on in the season, I, I want to say maybe even fall ball time, and we're going back more, you know, a long time at this point. So my memory is probably not the best on this, but I want to say it was early on, maybe around fall fall ball, that uh, you know, Chris Malik got, got diagnosed with cancer, um, testicular cancer, and uh, so he had to go into treatment for that, and be away from the baseball team for a while, um, while while getting treatment for that. Um, and the season starts um, without him, essentially, um, and he's around as much as he can be. But, I mean, obviously, with treatment and stuff, it's, it's a tough thing. Um, but his first game back, uh, it was when Big West play is already underway. Um, and it, it was his first game back. We were playing Long Beach. Um, and, you know, as Disney of the moment, as you can think of, he comes up with the bases loaded. Um, I want to say it's his first at bat. might have been his second at bat of the game. Um, and I'm up getting open side video down the third base line uh, of him because that's kind of the role. He's like, hey, we got an extra guy, you know, if you want, like run back and forth between first and third base size, you know, with the camera, grab open side <laughs> video so we can talk with our guys later. And it was like, all right, I'll do that for the game, be running back and forth. Um, but, you know, it was kind of a bigger turnout for, for a game back then um, because of the situation. Everybody knew that Chris Malik was coming back. And so a lot more family members in the stands, a lot more students coming out to, to kind of show them support for that. And uh, like I said, man, sure enough, you know, comes up with the bases loaded and he, he puts the ball out to, to right field, just way long gone and uh, tears and cheers going absolutely crazy in the stands and, and in the dugout. I, I remember seeing those guys react uh, but like you said, you, you know, there was an ESPN write-up about it and stuff like that. It, you couldn't have, uh, you know, created a better situation for him to to step up. And man, he came through as as in, in such in such a grand fashion, you know. So really special moment, one that I'll that I'll never forget. Definitely one of the highlights of that year for sure. How many years did you work under Bronze? 
just that one season. So, yeah. you know, after that, after that first season, you know, I was a first generation college kid, uh, you know, I kind of had to get to work. So I ended up uh, you know, taking a job um, after that freshman year. So I unfortunately kind of had to leave my, 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 you know, my time with UCSB baseball kind of there in that first year um, and, and kind of, you know, life takes over in a sense. Okay. So, so you went in thinking you were going to be a doctor yep. and, and doing some medical stuff, but it's, Based on your LinkedIn profile, fairly comprehensive. <laughs> uh, you gra- you graduated as an undergrad uh, with a major in Latin American studies. Yeah, and then and then you moved on to work for the county. Yeah, yeah. So when I was a uh, you know third year, I took advantage of the study abroad program. I got to live in in Chile for uh, I think it was like eight months was the term that I was out there. Um, Life changing experience. Um, that kind of really spurred my, my interest in, in Latin American history and politics. And that kind of led to the Latin American studies degree. Um, uh, and, you know, I, I come from, from a family with a background in law enforcement. My dad's a retired highway patrolman. He's now a, uh, an investigator for a public defenders uh, up in Northern California. I have uncles and stuff who were in law enforcement. So that kind of that world um, is something that was familiar to me. Um, just kind of, um, you know, how, how the penal code system works. Um, I'm Spanish speaking at this point, you know, fully bilingual, you know, if I, I was basically bilingual coming into school, but you know, me living abroad for eight months that you know, sealed the deal on that. Um, and so I was looking around for, for paid positions, you know, paid job after I came back from abroad. And, and I remember seeing, and, um, I want to say it, it must've been in, um, in the, uh, in the daily nexus, like an advertisement to intern, um, and it's like really looking for law students, uh, guys, who, like, you know, people who want to be in, in, in law school, but, um, you know, intern at the, with the, the Santa Barbara Superior Court. Um, and so what the position is, is that you kind of help with uh, these background investigations that occur at the, at the county jail uh, for people who are, are newly uh, arrested. Um, and so, you know, I apply for the internship, um, you know, fortunate enough to get on with them and very quickly, you know, they, they realized kind of with my, you know, my Spanish skill set, especially, but also my background, how quickly I kind of took to the, to the work. And so very quickly, and, and before I even finished my undergrad, um, I was able to, to get uh, hired full time uh, for that job. Um, and really the plan at that point was, you know, I'm just going to work here for a couple of years, save up some money, maybe go live abroad a little bit more and figure out what I want to do longer term. But, you know, it's just couple years here I'm, is all I'm going to do it, you know, at the jail, um, you know, doing, and doing baseball. There's, there's no baseball in this thought process. None is. No, no, no. I, I mean, like I said, you know, first generation, you know, college kid um, coming from the family background that I'm coming from, like, it's more about like do right for your family, do right by your family and, and get your degree done one and get yourself a good job so that you can, you know, kind of establish, you know, a, a good life for your family. That's, that's really the only calculation, you know, the, dreams beyond that are, you know, kind of secondary, you know, if, if something else that you really want to do works out great. But the first thing is take care of the family first, you know, do well for yourself so that all the sacrifices that your family did before you and all that kind of stuff were actually meant something, you know? So that, that was really the, uh, you know, the thing that was weighing on my mind more than anything. Do you have any, any lessons or, or things that you took away from your time working for the court system? Yeah. I mean, like at so, least, I mean, or like stuff that you took from maybe stuff that you learned in college or stuff that you learned living abroad and then coming and applying to here. I mean, you think you covered some of it. I mean, being bilingual and coming from the family background, like that stuff, it, it applies automatically, but any lessons that you really 
learn that you have brought to your current position and your and your current perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing, you know, keep in mind, I started this job when I was, you know, I'm an investigator representative of the, of the court. I mean, in, in that position, you're kind of like the, the, uh, I guess the eyes and ears for the judges at the jail, you know, so you need to make sure that everybody's, uh, you know, legal rights as far as whether they legally should be in custody is fulfilled you know, by law. Um, that's, that's what falls on us. And then on top of that, we're doing these investigations on behalf of the judges there at the jail. Um, and understand that I came into that job as a 20 year old. So the representative of the court who is coming to speak with you after you have this arrest that you might've had is a 20 year old kid. Um, so the first thing that I, I really took to heart and, and kind of still sticks with me even to this day is just a level of professionalism that you take into your work. Um, the way you carry yourself, the way you present yourself. Um, you got to always be thinking of that, uh, you know, kind of stuff um, uh, so that you can be, you know, have, have the, I guess, the weight of, you know, at that time, the weight of the office uh, that I was carrying at that time. But even now with the Red Sox, you know, going and representing the Red Sox, you know, there's a level of professionalism that should be shown for us because we have a standard in, in that sense. Okay, so you were there working for Santa Barbara Superior Court. I mean, up yeah. until, I want to say 2013, it sounds like. Yeah. And so, you know, so you're there for a handful of years. And that's and yeah. that was kind of, that was your career at that point. Yeah. And it, yes. and it was like you were well-established. So what motivated you to come back and get your master's degree? You know, there was, you mentioned before we started that there's kind of a story behind it, but yeah, uh, you want to get into that? Yeah, sure. Um, so right at the end of 2011, um, I've got now, I think about four years now working that job, um, three and a half, four years. Um, people in the, in the court system and my bosses, they started, you know, kind of talking to me about career paths there working for the, 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 for the court system, not just there at the jail, but at the larger court system, um, you know, started setting, uh, you know, having more face-to-face -face meetings with, you know, higher ups at the court in downtown Santa Barbara. Um, and so a lot of them are talking this, you know, longer term uh, kind of trajectory and, and career path. And I think at the time, and I was like maybe 22, maybe 23. And, uh, you know, it kind of was an eye-opening event for me to kind of deal with that because I had to sit there and, and decide, you know, is this what I'm actually going to do for the rest of my life? Because that's kind of what this is occurring, you know, as much as I wanted that job to just be like a one to two year little layover, it already is, you know, advanced as much as it is. And now they're, you know, looking to plan even beyond that. And so I kind of had to ask myself, if that's what I wanted. And, uh, you know, the conclusion that I came to is it was, I liked the job. It was, you know, it was an interesting job. It was stimulating intellectually, but uh, ultimately it wasn't what I saw for myself as having like having passion for a career of any kind, you know, um, it wasn't what drove me in any way. Um, so then the next question is inevitably, well, what the hell are you going to do then? Um, you know, that's the question coming from my parents. If you're going to leave this stable paint job, well, what the hell are you going to do then? Um, and, and for me, the answer ended up being that I wanted to, you know, be able to meld a career where I could, uh, you know, kind of meld these passions for Latin American history, politics, uh, uh, you know, that, that I established as an undergrad, because I still love that stuff. I still very much kept up with uh, all the current events in Latin America. I was still reading a bunch on, on, on things happening there. But I also 
always in the back of my head is that, man, I, I really would love to be able to work with sports in some way. Um, and especially with baseball, that's always kind of been my passion. Um, so the way that I, you know, went about kind of, I guess, charting my career from there, from that point on was I'm going to do a master's in route to a PhD and that all of that academic work is going to be um, under, I guess, the subject of there's a, a field within sociology that's sociology of sport. Um, and so it's dealing the way I envisioned it is uh, creating uh, or I guess using sports as a lens to like to, to, to magnify issues of either human rights or inequality that are occurring within Latin America. And so the best example I can give is the one that ended up being what my master's was on um, when I ended up doing my master's in Latin American studies, which is, um, you know, looking at uh, the issue of Cuban baseball defection. So these Cuban baseball players who, in, you know, in effect, exiled themselves from Cuba in order to play professional baseball, um, you know, what ramifications that has not only to the player themselves, um, economically, you know, all that kind of stuff, but what's kind of a trickle down effect to their families who are left behind. Cause that was what I came to find out was a topic that was basically untouched, um, um, at the time when I was doing my master's. And so that was really what the focus was. And so when, you know, I'm envisioning a long-term career, it's like, okay, I want to you know, get my PhD so I can teach sociology, but really, you know, if I'm talking about the works that I'm going to produce as an academic, it was always going to be along the lines of like human rights, social justice issues, but in the lens of sports, because if you want people to read about things that will potentially bore them to death, um, you know, like social justice issues, the best way to do it is to talk about it in the lens of sports. And now all of a sudden you caught people's attention because you're talking about their favorite baseball player, soccer player, basketball player, whatever it might be. But through that lens of sports, um, you know, it's, it's something really uh, that, that, that can get a lot more eyes. Okay, so you had a vision of applying your Latin American studies and the politics to sport. And you come back to UCSB and you have a relationship with the program. And there's a new coach, there's Coach Tackett's there. And he's, it's, he's in his second or third year at that point. So how do you get back into UCSB and how did you use your time as a, as a student manager to elevate yourself to where you are now? Okay. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I'm in the first year of my master's program there at UCSB um, kind of on that path that I kind of had laid out for myself and I'm very detail oriented and kind of goal oriented with, with the way I do things. So, I mean, I'm following the plan that I had laid out and to this day, I honestly couldn't, tell you who who brought it up to me the first time um i i don't know who the person is it's just kind of like this block in my memory i don't know why a guardian but, angel That's yeah guardian exactly angel. so i mean about halfway through my first year in my master's program somebody mentioned to me hey so you have your know, bilingual you have this uh, academic um background in in baseball especially in baseball because at that point i'm getting really deep into like mlb rules um, you know, government policies that govern these MLB rules as far as how you know, it pertains to international baseball. Um, and then on top of that, you have a playing background, that, you know, my high school playing background, you have time on the ground, you know, working with this college team here. Um, have you ever actually thought about just working for a major league baseball team? Because um, I'm sure they would really like your resume at the end of all this thing. And it, it gave me a, a lot of pause. Um, and, you know, I, I thought about it for couple weeks at least man and you know I thought about it and what I came to the conclusion was I'll give this thing a shot 
because that sounds too awesome to pass up on. I kind of inadvertently put myself in position for something like this. So might as well give it a try. And if it doesn't work out, I'll have finished my master's at that point. I can jump right back into applying for a PhD program and go into the path that I planned for. But I'm going to give this thing a real shot. Um, and so step one that I need to do is I need to get back on the field. Um, and fortunately, you know, going to Santa Barbara, there's great D1 program, um, you know, and the weather there's always perfect too. So it doesn't hurt that you get to be outside a little bit more uh, rather than stuck inside all day like I was with my master's program. So for my second year, the plan was that I was going to help out with the, the team, you know, see if I can kind of revive that, uh, you know, that just assistant role, I guess, or that, that student uh, assistant type helper role that I was doing as an undergrad. And so, um, like you mentioned, I mean, really new staff there at Santa Barbara that by that point. And so I didn't really have any connections, didn't really seek out uh, anything prior. Um, just one of those days, um, you know, in, in the start of the second year, so this would have been early fall, um, I just dropped into the office and I, to this day, I can't, I couldn't tell you if it was, if it was Matt or if it was Neil or who was sitting at that front desk, maybe it was Casey, um, that was sitting at the front desk when I walked in, but I, was, I just told him like, Hey, I'm, I'm a grad student. Um, wondering if you guys you know, needed a, a little extra help around the field and you know, I can do whatever, like I used to work on the field under Bronx. Uh, so it's like, I can do the, the field work itself. I can throw BP, I can hit fungos, whatever you need, man. Um, just want to be around the team a little bit more and, you know, uh, they were more than happy to, to oblige and get another hand to help out with the team. So, um, yeah, you know, that's kind of what led me back to UCSB baseball. That would have been for the, uh, the 2014 uh, season. Uh, so the last, last little stretch of my, of my master's there at, UC, at UCSB. And honestly, the, the, the best part of me doing my master's there was actually being able to get kind of reconnect with that team again, because, you know, getting outside, being around baseball again, uh, you know, in the clubhouse, throwing VP, all those kinds of things, man, were things that I, I, I don't think I realized it at that point, but things that I sorely, sorely missed, uh, you know, in, in my life. Um, and uh, yeah, so getting to work with that, that new staff there uh, with Eddie, uh, Eddie Cornejo was there. Um, Neil Walton, I, I want to say that was Neil's first year. Um, Tommy Chase was helping us out that year. And then, uh, of course, Jason Hawkins was, you know, kind of uh, running things on the offensive side. So great staff, guys, guys that really just welcomed me in. Um, and, uh, you know, like I said, we're, you know, as kind of a weird uh, kind of outsider as I was being a grad student doing this. Uh, I'm not sure if there's been a grad student since who's done that. But, uh, you know, as weird as my situation was and as kind of unique as the case was, you know, they, they brought me in and, and, and welcomed me and allowed me to do a whole lot uh, with that, with that ball team. Well, actually there was, he'll be stoked that I'm dropping his name, but uh, <laughs> uh, Matt, Matt Viegas, who. Was, oh yeah, of course. Yeah. Matty. He came the year after. In, in he and I stayed in contact as well. Yeah. Um, his circumstance was a little different, but. Yeah. Kind of similar in the sense that he wasn't a, a like a, an eighteen year old kid just starting his college career. Yeah. Like you, you have you had more experience and you had goals and you you were in it knowing what you wanted or at least you had an idea of what you wanted to get out of it. Yeah. And maybe you didn't know like what kind of opportunities would be presented to you as a student manager because you're like. I'll go out and I'll hit fungo. I'll go out and I'll throw BP. Like I'll come on the road trips. I'll do the dirty work. I'm just trying to get on the field and, and see what happens. And me knowing the student manager experience and being around the college game is that there's scouts at the games. There's scouts at practice. There's scouts at the scrimmages and the inner squads and stuff like that. And so 
at least how I remember it, like you started to interact with a lot of the scouts and you're like, you're a smart, well-spoken kid and you're, you're goal oriented, as I mentioned. So you probably started chatting with these scouts and then you're like, okay, maybe, maybe this is a route. These are people that I need to hang on to, or this is something that I could pursue. Yeah, absolutely, man. So I, you know, from my time, um, even way back as an undergrad, I, I, you know, met and got to know a little bit, uh, uh Bill Pinnard, uh, you know, always legend around Santa Barbara with the foresters and all that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, I kind of reconnected with him and, you know, he, he recognized me a little bit. And so he and I started chatting a little bit back then. And I told him kind of, you know, why I was doing that. And he's like, Oh man, you got to start talking with all the other scouts that are coming around. Um, and, you know, so he kind of gave me that, that big piece of advice. And it's something that check. also mentioned to me early on as well. Like if you're going to be doing this, man, like, these are the guys that are going to be around and, and there's going to be a wealth of knowledge, you know, pick their brains, you know, you know, those, the scouts aren't too busy to, you know, have a little side conversation with somebody or anything like that. And so, yeah, started, uh, you know, having conversations with those guys about what evaluation looks like. And that was kind of my first exposure to what a baseball evaluator is doing when it comes to a ballpark. Um, and so, you know, having those conversations, um, you know, one of the things I started doing, um, you know, really early on that season after talking with some of the scouts, I like kept a notebook with me the rest of that time. I kept a you know notebook with a little pen on me um, always. And, you know, I was kind of writing down my own scouting notes just kind of so I could show it to them later and get some feedback. And, you know, they, they were testing me and, you know, really you know challenging me with what I was writing down. Like if you say that this guy has good arm action, why do you think he has good arm action? Explain that to me. And, you know, we'd go, we'd have some back and forth on, on things like that. Um, so yeah, being around the team there, um, you know, very quickly, I got a lot more exposure, I guess, than I originally even planned for. Um, but you know, very early on, I got to see what kind of a great opportunity it was to get that kind of exposure, um, you know, with the scouts, with the staff on the team, um, you know, just, just soaking things in, man. I, I, I got to learn a lot that year. Um, you know, hanging around the, the, the cage with, with, uh, coach Hawkins back then, man, he, he, he would talk hitting mechanics with me, seeing him work with the guys, you know, I'd pick up things here and there. And I mean, just wealth of knowledge these guys were, um, same with checks and bullpen sessions, you know, it's just, like I said, I was a sponge that year. That's really all I was doing. I mean, what more could you do? I mean, it's, it's a perfect place to do it. <laughs> that and throwing BP. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of BP in our day. Lots yeah, of them. absolutely. Even, even with a, a, a busted UCL and, and labrum. You don't need too much of an elbow to just, you know, chuck it in there for batting practice. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Not taking anything away from your arm, your arm strength. <laughs> so, at, so at what point during the year do you start interviewing and pursuing a job and, and, yeah. saying, and saying, okay, it's time to get into this and, and find a position somewhere? Yeah. So, I mean, the thing, honestly, that like, I, I took in everything I absolutely could that, that year with the baseball team, but the kind of the thing that was still pending that whole time was I had to finish up my master's. Otherwise, you know, I mean, great networking opportunity, but otherwise, what did I just do all this schooling for, you know? Right. Um, and so it, it took me, you know, about, uh, I want to say about two months after I've, like school is out for me to actually finish up the writing of my master's um, and, you know, the editing phases and all that kind of stuff. So I, I want to say I, I, I wasn't, fully done with my master's until about uh, mid-August or so um, was when I when I finished everything and was done there. And so it was after that point that I actually got to start making those connections with the, with all of the people that I, or I guess, you know, 
furthering the connections that I had made with all those people at UCSB um, through Bill and a couple of the guys that I met at the around the ballpark. Um, but on top of that, you know, I knew that it was a very small group that I was actually connected to at that time. And so the other thing that I started doing is, um, you know, if I'm going to really pursue this baseball thing, um, I just, I, I think I want to say I had contact with maybe about eight teams up to that point. Um, so that left 22 clubs that I had zero connection with, zero contact with. And so I honestly, I just started cold emailing um, uh, the other 22 clubs in, in baseball um, and knowing kind of where my specialty stood um, you know, with this international baseball system that I had kind of, um, I guess, mastered in, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, I, interna- I, I only uh, emailed international scouting directors across baseball, knowing that hey, this is what I did in my master's. This is what I think I can help contribute with the baseball club. Let me know if you want to chat. Um, and, you know, I gave myself about uh, six months or so to, to try this thing out. I uh, went to the winter meetings for that year. Luckily, they were in San Diego, so not too far away. Um, you know, got to make more connections out there. Um, and, you know, by the end of it, I ended up having, uh, you know, kind of internship and other type of position offers from about, I want to say maybe five or six clubs at that point. Um, and the, the Red Sox uh, came in, they, they gave me the best offer. They, they offered me a full-time internship based here in Boston, um, working directly uh, beneath our international scouting director, uh, who's now our, our assistant general manager, that's Eddie Romero. Um, and so it was that, that in, in, in 2015, uh, February, 2015, that I was able to, to join up with the Red Sox after, you know, all, everything was said and done there at Santa Barbara. Okay. So you get into Boston was your first, you say your first role was in, in Boston, but you eventually wind up going to the Dominican, to the Mm -hmm. Dominican Republic. And you worked at a, at a Academy, I want to say. Uh, yeah. I mean, so basically I was, lived and worked in Santo Domingo in, in, in the Dominican and we have our academy there. So I was there, you know, on a weekly basis, you know, uh, helping with our tryouts, you know, evaluating guys there too, but it, six, you know, six or five days out of the, uh, the five or six other days of the week, um, we were on the road scouting everywhere in the Dominican. Um, and it's so yeah, by everywhere. So clarify this. Yeah. By everywhere. I mean, you mean everywhere. Cause I, but, I remember you you sent me a couple of videos a handful of times where you're <laughs> driving through the jungle or yeah. you're on some muddy dirt road and I don't know what kind of car or truck you're in but you know, there's <laughs> there's there like there's no humanity anywhere and then you pull into this like pasture and there's cows or or animals and there's yeah. like just like a a a hill or yeah. a mound of dirt like not like a pitching mound but just something that's it works above where <laughs> the catcher is squatting and, and you go out to watch a guy. I mean, yeah, that's that's what it's like. It's the beauty of the DR man. Like if there is an open space, uh, for a field, you know, for, for baseball game to take place, they're going to use that space to play baseball. Um, and yeah, no, that, that 2016 year. And so I, I did my year in, in Boston, 2015, incredible experience, man. Um, uh, you know, as an intern here in Boston, you know, I was, watching games from, you know, seven, eight rows behind home plate um, at a major league ballpark. Got to do that 81 times in the year, you know, um, and, you know, it's, it's that it's being around the, the, the front office, just talking about if I was a sponge at Santa Barbara, I was, you know, twice as sponge that I was here in, in Boston my first year, because it's just, 
being around this atmosphere is incredible. You know, the, the real baseball lifers around you who have so much to teach you, um, not just from a baseball perspective, but, you know, one of the cool things about what we have going on here in Boston is just the culture perspective, um, the way that, that we, you know, it's a family atmosphere in our front office and it's something that our, our new uh, chief baseball, baseball officer, Heim, always talks about, you know, how, how he was struck by how much of a family atmosphere it is in Boston. And we really take that to heart as far as like, even down to our interns, our interns don't just do, you know, basic filing work or any of that kind of stuff. You know, I was thrown to the, the heart of our international scouting operation as a, as a, as an intern, you know, I was, you know, helping to coordinate our, our video operations, our, our, you know, kind of database on all the players that we're seeing. Um, all that I got to do in all in 2015 um, on top of what, you know, the exposure that I got to with the draft. And that was the, um, the year that we took Ben and as our first pick, uh, the seventh pick overall, um, you know, also happened to be the year that the fifth pick of that draft was Dylan Tate um, out of UCSB. And so uh, I, I actually remember that my, during the draft preparation, they, they had me give a rundown on, on Dylan um, to all of our scouting directors, as much work as they had done, all that kind of stuff. They knew, Hey, you, you sat in a, in a clubhouse with this guy and on, on a bus with him for the last you know year, what do you got on the guy? And so I had to give him a whole rundown on Dylan, kind of what I thought of him as, you know, as a baseball prospect as well, even though I'm just now starting out on this. And one of those things, I don't think I've ever sweat so hard to sit in front of a, a room of guys who have been scouting baseball their entire life. And I'm supposed to be the one to tell them what this guy is, you know, like, uh, you know, as a person, but they're also listening to my, my rundown on his baseball abilities too. Um, but yeah, so that was all of 2015. Like I said, an incredible experience. Um, I also got to work essentially under two front offices that year. Um, Cause uh, when I started, it was under Ben Sherrington. And by the end of that baseball season, it was Dave Dombrowski. Um, and so kind of seeing the way that different front offices can run. I, I got two internships in, in one in, in a sense, but yeah. So after that, that, that first intern year, um, the Red Sox kind of laid out a development plan for me, um, you know, in the same way that they would for a prospect, like, here's what we want you to work on so we can get you to this level, this kind of thing. They did the exact same thing for me and they, they laid it out that, you know, we know that you're good with administrative work. You know, you came from, you know, they knew the, the background that I had with the court system. So they knew like organizationally and, you know, I can handle administrative type work. That's, that's already cleared up. What we want you to really focus on. Um, and we want you to dedicate yourself to this for one to two years straight is just scouting. And so the way that we're going to get you to focus on that purely is we're going to send you the Dominican Republic and you're going to, live and work there for one to two years, just depending on if something else opens up. If at the end of those two years, um, you don't have, like if we don't have a position for you back in Boston or some kind of other position, you can be feel free to, you know, seek out a job with any other club in baseball and believe you, you know, believe me that at the end of, you know, two years of working in the Dominican, all 29 other teams are gonna want you. Being an American educated kid, who's bilingual, who has time on the ground in these other countries, like, you know, you're going to be a, a hot prospect as it were, you know, in, as far as like a, you know, a front office type worker. Um, and so I, you know, threw my faith into to the development plan that they had for me. And so all of 2016, I, I like you said, I, I, I lived and worked in, in, in the Dominican Republic, um, lived in, in Santo Domingo in the capital there. Um, and, it, it was an incredible experience as far as just getting thrown in the deep end on how to scout. So the way that we structured it is that 
for the first um, four months of my time there, the scout who was in charge of scouting the capital, Santo Domingo, which is where, you know, a majority of the players who come out of the Dominican, there, a lot of them are coming out of the capital. Um, he would pick me up out of my apartment every day. Um, and he and I would go out and go to the tryouts wherever they were. Um, you know, like you said, like every part of the, of the Dominican Republic. Um, so we covered the, the entire capital for about four months. And when we get to the field, um, it wasn't like I'm just shadowing him. It's you go over here, you evaluate. I'm going to be over here. I evaluate. We come back together at the end of it. Who did we like? And we're going to have a discussion about who we liked, who we didn't like, why we didn't like. Them. And so I did that for four months straight. After that period, the scout who runs the South for us, he picked me up at my apartment for the next two months. And so I went and covered the South for two months straight. And that's probably, I think, where that video that you were referencing uh, was, you know, going out to some tryouts out in the, in the South because the South for us uh, constitutes not just, you know, to the, I guess, the West of the capital, but it goes all the way to the Haitian border as well. So, I mean, we're talking about a massive area and also extremely remote, um, some, of these, some of these areas that we're in. Uh, did that for two months. The three months after that, um, it was our scout in the in the east who would come pick me up uh, in San Pedro, like the the famed San Pedro area of of the Dominican, which is where you get like a lot of your big names, like Robinson Cano is like the, it's the San, greatest San of all time, you know. San Pedro de Macroí, right? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's absolutely famous area of, of baseball there. And so uh, for three months, the scout who's in charge of that area, he'd pick me up in my apartment every morning. We'd go scout there. And like I said, you know, every single day, we're doing this six days out of the week. Um, uh, I'm out there as if I was the only scout there at that tryout. You know, we were working independently and then coming back together at the end of it and say like, all right, this is the guy that we like, this guy that we didn't like. Um and so, yeah, that was the, uh, the, the 20, that was 2016. Um, and we were primarily tasked that year with scouting the 2017 class, which ended up including, um, you know, the number one prospect in baseball this year is, uh, Wander Franco. Um, back then he was called Samuel Franco. Don't ask me why it's a different now. Um, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so that, that was the 2017 class that we were scouting. Um, and, you know, at the end of that year, you know, I was really fortunate that uh, something opened up in Boston and, I, you know, they were able to interview and eventually offer me the job um, that brought me back to Boston to work in the front office um, starting in 2017. Okay, so what was, what was the position called when you came back to Boston? Because you've been, you've been there ever since and yep. you got it, you have an office in Fenway Park and... Well, more we... of a cube but i'm in the offices it's not it's, it's, <laughs> it's probably got a view you could probably watch the game in your office you know you can admit yeah, I'll, it. I'll, I'll i'll let you dream as big as you want as far as what it is but it's a pretty uh just a standard looking office uh things aren't too impressive on the the inner guts of, of fenway because remember they're they are 100 year old offices so like they can only be so nice up to a point. <laughs> well, hey, well, I'm a history guy, and I like I like this. Thing, so, <laughs> Boy, it's, it's 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 all about the address. It's it's all about who cares <laughs> what the office looks like. <laughs> exactly, there is brick around. <laughs> Lots of it. Uh, um, yeah. So uh, when I was brought back, um, it was uh, with the title of assistant and player personnel for us at uh, you know at that construction of what we had in our office at that point. You know, like corporate structure wise. Um, player personnel for me meant covering uh, all international professional uh, baseball players. 
and, and leagues. So um, if you run that down, it's Japan, it's Korea, Taiwan, um, the Mexican League, uh, winter ball leagues, um, older Cubans who come out who are considered professionals. Um, all of those things fell under the purview. Um, we also did kind of some, um, uh, I guess, more targeted type scouting. So whether it be internally um, scouting our own prospects or, you know, doing kind of special assignment type stuff, but we were essentially tasked with being, you know, uh, kind of, uh, I guess, like I said, the focus on the international pro scouting, but kind of jacks of all trades, you know, being able to jump from one area of scouting to another and, you know, just to help out as, as needed. Um, and so that was uh, starting in 2017. I, I came back to Boston with that title and, uh, was really put in charge more than anything of um, kind of reviving our scouting operation in Mexico uh, of the Mexican professional leagues. Um, it was a, something that Dave Dombrowski uh, saw as kind of a weak spot for us, um, wanted to bolster. And so the guys who brought me in, um, Allard Baird and Jared Banner, who are now with the Mets, um, they brought me in, you know, hoping that I could be the guy who kind of reestablished what we were doing in Mexico, like really get a foothold back there and, uh, so that was you know, what I was really focused on when I came back in 2017 to Boston. Okay, so without giving away any trade secrets, because I know you don't want to reveal any of those, <laughs> where does does analytics, analytic evaluation, included in any of this, other than, um, other than just like the standard like eye tests, like going and see it and, and measuring the the standard like arm strength, velocity, like yep. those basic things. Yeah, so in, in the professional ranks, when you're talking international side, that's wildly dependent on which leagues and what kind of data streams are coming out of those leagues. So if you're talking about Japan and Korea, um, by the time I joined on with the with these guys and you know, working this operation, most of the ballparks at that point had TrackMan. So we're able to get TrackMan data. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of more advanced beyond TrackMan uh, is not really coming into play because just the data streams aren't out there. Um, and so in the, in, in the places that we can use analytics, we are drawn on those guys as much as we possibly can because, you know, this is a league that's on the other side of the, you know, Japan and Korea speaking about those two leagues in particular, those are leagues on the other side of the world. As much as we can kind of filter down and figure out who the players are that we should be targeting for the moment that we actually do make a trip to Asia, we want to do that as much as we can here in the States before we can do that so that we can use our time there in Japan and Korea, you know, as, as fruitfully as possible to see the guys really zone, hone in on the guys that we should be focused in on. Um, on the flip side of things, when you're talking about some, a league like Mexico, there's nothing, there's no track man. Um, the stats are somewhat suspect for some of these uh, leagues, depending on which leagues that you're talking about. Um, but, you know, what there certainly isn't, there aren't advanced statistics. It's just kind of the basic stat lines that you would get. So that's kind of when you're talking about like my coverage in Mexico, when, especially when I first came back, it was very much just old school scouting, you know, just like eye test, um, getting videos from connections that I'd made in Mexico, and then just watching, looking at stat lines, watching box scores, um, very old school type scouting for that. How often do you get to go to like ballparks are you are you so when you're scouting mexican leagues like you're in you're in chihuahua you're in mexico city like are you mm -hmm. there sitting in the ballpark and and, and doing oh yeah scouting? yeah so i mean especially like if we're going back in time to 2017 i was uh, i was making maybe three trips um four trips a year um to mexico i'd kind of start off with a big 
you know, net of guys that I thought like were worth following, followed them for a little bit, maybe whittled that, uh, that list down a little bit, but I didn't want to whittle it down too much just because there was such a lack of data on those guys. So I'd be making trips, um, and, and kind of doing it like three city trips. So I, you know, it started in Tijuana, jumped down to, um, you know, Puebla and then, you know, jump over to Merida and kind of do a three city tour, uh, to follow kind of targets that I had laid out. Um, and doing that a, a few times a year um, with the Mexican League, um, with Japan and Korea. Um, you know, nowadays we we have, I have more people who, who who help out on that kind of stuff. Now we have more kind of uh, people who are making that trip for us on a regular basis. So me personally, you know, covering the Asian leagues, I only usually do one trip a year at this point. Um, I got to do two uh, last year because uh, the Premier Twelve was happening. So I got to cover Team Japan and make a, sec- a second trip to Taiwan. Uh, this past year, but yeah, usually Asia, it's one time a year, uh, but to, to Mexico um, or other leagues, winter leagues, I'll make a, a couple trips, a few trips uh, on a yearly basis. Have you been to, I got, I got the, uh, I got the frequent fire miles to prove that. I, I, I bet you do. <laughs> I have no doubt. Have you been down to South America or, or Australia? Um, did Colombia. Um, so that's South America. Yep. Um, I've done, uh, let's see, have, have we touched anywhere else? Uh, I mean, I've done Panama, done Costa Rica, um, done, you know, the Dominican, um, Mexico, obviously. I'm trying to think what other countries I've, I've hit up. Uh, but I've gotten, well, I, a couple years back, um, they had the World Port Tournament in Rotterdam um, in the Netherlands, so I got to wow. do that trip. Um, and I just missed out. Um somebody else ended up taking the assignment but i almost got to do a, a scouting trip to italy as well to watch the italian league play for a couple of days because there were a couple of cuban players that were of interest out there as well so you know baseball's taken me to a few places man it's, it's been pretty uh pretty special i i can't say that i would have envisioned a, a cooler uh job in any kind of way i'm jealous well yeah. I, I asked i asked this question to skip and i asked it to michael young so i gotta ask it to you because you've seen a bunch of ballparks yeah um, can you pick out a few in particular that maybe you remember specifically, either it's the atmosphere inside, it's the atmosphere outside. Like I don't, I don't worry about the scouting part of it or yeah. the work part of it, but just the baseball atmosphere of it. Cause if you've been to Korea, you've been to Japan, yep. been to Taiwan, Mexico, like those are cool places just to, <laughs> begin, with, just to begin with. Yeah. And like, since I haven't been to a, I've been to one professional sporting event outside of the United States and it was a it was a Danish soccer game yeah. a couple summers ago and I thought it was really cool it was, yeah. it was an amazing experience and so I'm curious like what your takeaways were from on on a on a handful of places on in yeah, some, man. some of those uh, um, different countries for sure um this past year I got to I was covering um Yomiuri Giants in the Tokyo Dome um, and it just so happened that the games that I was covering overlapped. Um, it was their matchup against the Hanshin Tigers. Um, uh, if you're not following too much Japanese baseball, that's essentially your Red Sox-Yankees matchup, um, it, the equivalent there in Japan. And to watch it in a place like Tokyo Dome was really, really awesome. Um, that That's definitely high on the list. Um, you know, games in Japan and Korea, man, the atmosphere there is incredible. Um, like, it's nonstop noise. Uh, the fans... I don't know if you've been following the Korean baseball that's you know, being broadcast on ESPN uh, here in the States right now, but 
it's really doing a disservice to what the atmosphere is, uh, just in the terms of like a lot of what the atmosphere at, at the games in Korea and you know Japan, which will start up here soon. Actually, tonight uh, they're starting. Um, it's the fans, man. It, it's it's coordinated cheers and dances, and it's incredible. If you're a baseball fan, you've never seen anything like it here in the states. Um, on top of that, um, winter league in the Dominican um, is. A, a party in a different sense. Whereas in Japan and Korea, it's like these organized dance and cheers in the Dominican, um, in Puerto Rico, um, in, in Mexican uh, winter leagues, man, like those are Latin style parties. Uh, so it's music going on. It's dancing going on. It's, uh, people are drinking rum. It's, it's an incredible atmosphere on that. While, while the uh, game's happening. Oh yeah. Yeah. I, obviously not the players, but like there are dancers and music going on the music in in like latin american winter ball there's music played in between every pitch up until the point where essentially like the, the the pitcher lifts his leg in his motion in his delivery once he lifts his leg that's when they stop the music the pitch is thrown in about you know what a one second period after that point and if it's just a ball or a strike whatever the music starts immediately again and everybody's back to dancing and stuff like that um it's an incredible atmosphere I will point out the one coolest game that I've ever been to though. And uh, it happened because of my international scouting coverage. Um, I was uh, covering um, the world baseball classic, the last one to, to be played. So I covered round one and round two round one was in Guadalajara. Uh, really cool. Um, it was like Mexico, uh, Italy, um, Puerto Rico, uh, which had Correa and, you know, all those guys, uh, you know, that, that team was stacked. Um, but round two was the round that was in San Diego. Um, and so I got to scout that entire round and that included team USA baseball. So the, getting to watch, uh, the Dominican team versus team USA, uh, in the final game of that one was the coolest game I've ever attended as a fan or as a scout. Um, really? because I mean, I'm, I'm surrounded at, at that game by about, I don't know, 15 other scouts, you know, and they're all big league scouts and, Dude, two innings into the game, nobody's really scouting at that point. At that point, we're all just kind of baseball fans, like cheering on Team USA, um, and it was insane. And that was the game where you had uh, Adam Jones robbing Manny Machado of the home run. It was that event, and I've never seen a group of scouts uh, before or since <laughs> watch a play happen, all jump up and cheer and start high fiving each other because <laughs> that's what happened wow. in the stands. It was an incredible experience, man. That that's the single coolest game I've ever been to was that world baseball classic game. I mean, as much as I'd like to get into the, the current state of major league baseball, I don't, I don't know enough to have that conversation and, and I want to try and stay positive about it. But like, if there's, if there's a snippet of what could save baseball, maybe not save, I don't think that's the the best word. Like baseball is going to be here, but to reinvigorate, baseball in the united states it's those international events yeah it's it yeah i haven't been to one i can't speak towards it but watching it on tv and and comparing it to any international soccer event it might not be the best comparison but like i and hearing that from you and the, and the scouts that you were with and being at the the environment in mexico and then and then seeing it in the united states like having that atmosphere I mean, it, it could really reinvigorate the game, especially in the United States. Absolutely, man. It, you know, it gives these guys like a whole another level to be playing at. And yeah. you remember that year, you know, it's like you have Adam Jones, you know, 
son of a, you know, he's a military uh, you know, brat growing up, you know, based out of San Diego there. So he's, he's playing in front of his hometown guys. Um, you know, like I said, his, his dad, I think it was a Navy. He was in the Navy or something like that. And so him being able to rob it for team USA. So he's amped up about that. That's the same year too, that you had like Stroman. Um, who was he pitching against? Uh, man, I don't remember who started that game for the Dominican, but that Stroman's coming out there, man. And he's amped up the whole time. Cause he's pitching for team USA. Like these guys were playing on another level. Now, like granted, uh, you know, I say that that's the coolest game I've ever been to. That's, I have to say that's a lie because, um, you know, game five of the World Series at Dodger Stadium, we won the World Series. The oh, yeah. Incredible baseball you, you experience that we've ever had. Um, on the field. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I mean, you know, those guys coming off, uh, you know, the field, you know, you know, Chris Sale being pumped up, you know, Vasky running into his arms, those kinds of things are incredible as well. Uh, but, you know, for guys who aren't on the same team, you know, to, to, to join up and play for a team USA kind of event like that, dude, like that was an awesome event. And with Petco park, the way it was packed, like it was everybody just going wild in the stands. Like that's one of the coolest baseball atmospheres you'll ever see. Man. I'm jealous of you had to, that you got to experience that. And, and I'm, and I'm encouraged. I'm encouraged at the same time. Cause I'm, I'm a huge soccer fan. And I've, you know, I've watched the restarts of these leagues and, you know, learning about all these different players and where they come from. And then I love, I mean, obviously I love the World Cup. Like I was disappointed that there was no Euro this year, but it, it's, it's such a, it's a different, it is a different feel when you're yep. playing for the, your country. Mm-hmm. And so each different team, and I'm, I'm, you know, the Puerto Ricans are different than the Dominicans are different than the Americans are different yep. than, are, than, than the Mexican team. Like, Everyone, all those teams have specific identities, and you're playing with, with players that come from similar backgrounds, and you you see that culture resonate on the field. It's there's there's nothing like it. Yeah, and I like for that team that year too with Team USA. Like I'm not sure if they came in with that same kind of attitude at the start because um, they actually did a warm up. Um, they they had a workout at at our spring training home while you know at, I think it was at the end of their spring training. Um, and so I actually got to see that team before they went and started playing in, 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 the, in the baseball classic. And um, I'm not sure if that attitude was there early on like that, but what definitely happened is that if they didn't have that attitude, what definitely happened is that it became an infectious attitude because of the way yeah. that the other teams were coming into this, the Puerto Rican team that year, the Venezuelan team, the Dominican team, those teams are coming in with such like passion and energy to be playing for their country that I, it definitely like that, that same kind of infectious attitude and, and drive like seeped over to the American team. And, and they started playing for that same kind of uh, that same with that same kind of drive. Yeah. And not to mention the, the Koreans and, and the Japanese, like they have absolutely as well. And you, you, see it, you see it on a soccer field. I mean, the Spanish, they play different than the Dutch who play different yeah. than the English. And, and you see it on the baseball field, like the, the Puerto Ricans they, and the Latinos, they play with some flair and, the, the Japanese, they're they're calculated. They're they have the weird batting stances and weird pitching motions. Like at, at least to us, it's normal to them, obviously. But it and the I've, one thing about Japan, Korea, and and also Taiwan, though, man, is they'll out bat flip any any team. Oh yes, and, and they they love flipping the bat, dude, and it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's totally part of it. It's, Absolutely, it's totally part of it. It's just it's yeah. it's in the culture. It's what you do. Wow. Yeah. Oh man. That's so cool. 
Yeah, the World Baseball <laughs> Classic. I I, I had a, a question on my list, and, and you beat me to it. So that's <laughs> that's well done by you. Yeah. Um. Okay, well, running out back to to UC Santa Barbara and, and being a scout, like what are what are some things that you can share to current players or recruits that that you are looking for, like a, like a handful of things that you're looking for in a player who's in a college uniform, who yeah. who you guys want to be to draft or sign and be a part of your organization. Yeah. I mean, I think the one thing that like, you know, if you're talking about, you know, a guy who's playing the game, the one thing that they can control um, more than anything, man, is just their, their motivation and their work ethic. Um, Cause that's the one thing that you really do have control over as a player. Uh, you know, how much time you're putting in at the gym and conditioning um, you know, how much focus you're bringing to your bullpen sessions to, you, you know, your rounds of BP, all those kinds of things. So, I mean, if you think that like those things aren't really, that they don't matter and that we're not paying attention, those are the things that we actually lock in the most of, you know, if I'm talking my own personal process, like I'm locked in on those moments because that's when you get to see their attitude and their work ethic in those, in those moments, uh, not just, you know, on top of the skill set that they might have, you know, a skill set's, you know, a skill set and, you know, whether a guy is projectable and all those kinds of things, um, you know, it's not necessarily in, you know, person's control in the same way that me being 5'10 and 150 pounds as a, you know, attempted walk on, like there were a skill set that just wasn't there. Right. But there's a difference between that and like the work ethic you bring. And that's the kind of the difference maker that, that you can, that you have, you know, that differentiates some of these guys who can make it and who don't, uh, and who, you know, don't end up panning out. Um, it's something that we focus on within our organization, you know, quite a bit. Um, you know, we'd like to think that you know, the successes that we've had with some, you know, with the team that we've kind of created here in the last few years, a lot of it has to do obviously great talents and that kind of thing, but it's a, it's a makeup thing. Um, you know, we traded him recently, notwithstanding though, but like Mookie's, you know, a plus worker, um, just absolutely wants to be one of the best in the world. Um, Xander's the same way. Devers is that same way. Uh, Christian Vasquez is that same way. Ben Intendi is that same way. You know, all these guys are coming in with, you know, what we would grade as like, you know, 70, 80 makeup. These guys are workers um, who not are only just showing it in the times when you're supposed to show it in the game, that kind of thing, but they're also doing it in, 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 in between all that time as well. Um, you know, everything that they're doing is so that they can be better. And what about, so what about, students or players who may not have a playing future mm -hmm. who may have a future either scouting or in front office like what kind of things could they do either in college or in building their resume or yeah. like types of conversations that they can have to get into a, a front office or an internship something like that yeah i mean really the only example i can point to is you know myself but the, the reason why i say that is because the only thing that got me into a, a baseball job at the end of the day was that I, I came in with kind of a unique skill set, right? I came in with something that a lot of other people who were applying did not have. So there, you're going to find that, you know, with our, with the intern pool that we get every single year. And I mean, we're talking upwards of a hundred kids that apply every single year for internships. You know, a lot of them have plain backgrounds. A lot of them have, you know, student manager backgrounds. Um, 
maybe they've done some you know, economics courses. Um, maybe they, you know, read fat and graphs all the time, you know, dive into baseball savant, whatever it might be. But so we see a lot of those. The the thing that you know differentiates you is, is the thing that's going to you know help you stand out. So for me, it ended up being you know this this focus and drive on for for international baseball. That was my passion, and I specialized in that. Not only was I interested in it, but I specialized in it. Right. So I essentially made a master's out of that. Um, and it's you know people across our office you know that I can point to like from our analyst side like. Um, one of the guys that came in you know, a couple years back um, when we started bolstering, you know, some of our analytics department, he on his own became like a master at pitching analytics. Um, and he does, you know, he does analysis type work for us in all, you know, across baseball at this point. But he, his you know, foot in the door was the fact that he was so good at dealing with pitching analytics. Um, and so just kind of as much as you can find your specialty the thing that you can contribute um and and just do that 100 percent because that's the thing that teams are going to see as like the the your your entree into the the club is going to be like well we can we can have this person help us with this thing and then while you're in there doing that one thing that they think that you know you can specialize at now you're getting exposure to all these other things um you know i do a bunch of pro scouting at this point you know by no means was I a pro scout when I came into this, uh, to this game, you know, I came in as an international administrator more than anything else. Um, but now I'm helping out with pro scouting. I'm doing, um, you know, special assignment type stuff. Uh, the amateur scouting at this point, you know, it's kind of, it, it grows from there. Um, so as making yourself stand out as much as you can, whether it's through coursework, whether it's through, um, you know, your own side projects, whatever it might be, but just, you know, do something to make yourself stand out. Okay, I'm going to piggyback that a little bit, and I'm ha I'm happy that you went that route because Evan Short. I don't know if you ever interacted with yeah. Evan. I've never met him. I've heard his name a few times though. Now he's kind of created a legend for himself there at Santa Barbara, huh? Yeah, I mean, because his, <laughs> his specialty was like his curiosity for for numbers and and applying the numbers to pitch design and and using the technology. Like that was what made him stand out, and just how vigorous he was with studying it learning it, going the extra mile to make mistakes, not being afraid of failure, applying it on the field, backtracking, like all that stuff and, and really yeah. focusing on one thing. And his, I mean, he became a pitching specialist. Like it was amazing to hear just some talk, like from one year to the next, like it was just night and day. And that was a big reason why he wound up with the Blue Jays because yeah. they, they didn't really have something like that. So they were looking for that kind of specifically that kind of niche so mm -hmm. I'm, I'm glad you said that and i'm yeah i was i want to plug evan some more because <laughs> there's all kinds of credit it, it's he great. and i need to connect at some point because I, like i said i've heard his name a ton and yeah. uh you know we're both i guess in the the fraternity if you will of, of working in major league front office uh you know i'd love to connect with him at some point yeah and he, he wasn't a player just like you <laughs> so it's, it's you guys are in a in a specific group um sure. okay the, the last question i have for you is since you're a goal-oriented guy and driven, like now that you have progressed to where you are, like what's next for you on a personal level? Yeah. Um, like, you know, I'm, I love the work that I'm doing. Um, I, I really lucked into an organization that I, I mean, takes care of their own and you know helps you grow from within. So for me, man, I, I'm, I've been loving 
the development that I've been getting with the, the Red Sox, which is a constant development. Um, and to be honest, man, I'm, I'm happy where I am. And, uh, you know, as much as I can, can continue to contribute as I, you know, as I have been, uh, you know, if I can, you know, kind of gain and grow with more responsibilities as time moves on here with the Red Sox, I'd, I'd be more than happy with that. Um, I can't say, and, and this has never been the case and maybe I'm an outlier in this sense too, but I've never, I never got into baseball. One, I mentioned before, I'd never planned on working in baseball, but when I started to work, you know, towards that goal, I never got into baseball because I thought I should be a GM or wanted to be a GM. That's not my plan. Um, honestly, man, the, the, the joy that I get out of this is it's the time on the ground um, scouting, but also getting to work with all of our scouts on the ground uh, you know, that live in our various countries. So when I get to go to the Dominican, when I get to go to Colombia and uh, Japan and Korea and, and get to interact with our scouts there, um, I love nothing more than, and one getting to interact with those guys, but also part of what the job is that I have now is helping them develop as well. Um, so that kind of mentorship, um, the development of newer scouts, um, but also just that interaction, that day-to-day -day, um, interaction with them, man, that's, that's what I live for. So if my, my role expands in that sense, uh, where I get to you know, continue doing that type of work, um, I'm happy, man. I, I tell people all the time, you know, the, at, at the most basic level, the job that I have right now is traveling the world and watching baseball games, um, which that should be somebody's hobby. That should be what you do after you retire. Uh, that shouldn't be what you do as a career, but I'm not going to be the one to tell the Red Sox to stop paying me for doing this job. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so beyond that, man, uh, you know, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I am. Life is, life has been good to me. Um, I've, I've lucked into a lot of really cool situations that I, don't know how I ended up in, don't know why I deserve them, but I'm definitely taking them all. Well, hopefully they send you out to Santa Barbara sometime soon. I, I need to, man. I, I miss free birds. I miss kookas. Uh, I, I, I miss, I miss, uh, you know, that, that man, that weather there is incredible. I miss it. <laughs> well, and, and, and there's lights now, so you can, you can come out you can come to a night game and, and you can evaluate some gauchos are going to be future. I don't know. I might, I might have to be a purist man and only go to day games. So that, you know, like the old school mentality of it. it's like, no, nah, no, nah, we, we don't play night games in Santa Barbara. Okay, so you'll <laughs> no, but I'm Sundays. looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to it though, man. That, that's awesome. I'm glad they were finally able to, you know, kudos to checks on that one, man. That's, that was a long-term project and he got it done. So, you know, hat tip to him for that. You, you'll be, you'll be amazed when you come out. <laughs> you'll be amazed at the, at, at the changes that have been made for the better, um, lots of hard work, lots of people who've been heavily involved for many years have, you know, have seen it through and, and, and made it a really great, really great place. And, Absolutely. and just, just like you, I mean, we're trying to develop, we're trying to get better one step at a time. We're trying to, we're trying to make this a really good thing out here. And I think we're doing a good job so far. Absolutely, so, man. Um, we're taking notice on the big league level. <laughs> good. <laughs> <laughs> um, Okay, uh, Marcus Cuellar. Uh, wow, we covered a lot, and and that was that was fantastic. Is there is there any anything else that you'd like to say? No, I I guess the only thing I'd say, man, is that, you know I try as much. You know, I'm I'm pretty bad at it, but I try as much to stay connected with the program out there because of everything that they did for me. And the Bronx would you know helped me along the way. Checks helped me along the way. So I owe a lot of what I'm doing now to those guys, and so I've always one, I've always been grateful to those guys for everything. Um, but two, I guess in, in any way that I can pay that back, I always have tried. So, 
um, you know, to, to the gauchos that are there now, um, to, you know, student managers that go through there by any means, man, if, 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 uh, if you ever need anything from, from my end, if there's anything I can help you do, uh, as far as baseball wise, you know, let me know and I'd be happy to, it's, uh, you know, the little bit that I can do to, to kind of pay back, uh, you know, what I've, what I've, where I've gotten to at this point, you know, on, because of what Santa Barbara did for me. All right. That's a good place to leave it. And, uh, Marcus, thanks for the time. Uh, it's it's a it's a weird time for baseball. It's been a busy time for you. Yeah, um, I'm tired of being in my apartment. I should have been in Asia two weeks ago. And uh, funny enough, I actually I'm supposed to be covering the Indians this year, so I, I would have been seeing uh, a lot of Beebs this year in the oh, big man. leagues, also the minor leagues levels. Uh, you know, last year I was covering the Orioles top to bottom, so I got to see Tate move up and uh, from from that Double A level to Triple A. I got to see him pitch in Fenway. Um, I've gotten to, to still have my interaction with some gauchos from, you know, since, since, uh, since leaving Santa Barbara. Yeah. So you also would have seen, uh, some Kyle Nelson as well. If, yeah. Yeah. Actually I did. I did. Yeah. I mean, uh, and, uh, I saw Clay Fisher. Yeah. With the Orioles. Yeah. Yeah. He was, uh, I think I saw him in Staten Island. That's great. Yeah. You see, <laughs> every, everywhere you go, there's a show. Everywhere yeah, absolutely, man. <laughs> okay, uh, Marcus Cuiar, uh thanks for joining us on the Gaucho 9 pod, and uh, take care of yourself, all right? It's been fun, man. appreciate it. All right, thank you to our sponsor, Kyle's Kitchen. Make sure to go in and see Kyle whenever you're hungry for a salad or a burger. And a big thanks to Marcus Cuiar for taking time out of his busy schedule. He's been swamped with draft stuff and free agent signings, so uh, that was huge. And he was he's such a thrill to talk to. It's such a cool story, and uh, I hope our relationship uh, broadens in the future. And he was serious about reaching out to him. If you're a player or a student who's interested in getting into professional baseball on the front office type of work, uh, you can email him at mfquillar at gmail.com. That's M-F-C-U-E-L-L-A-R at gmail.com. Uh, he's an academic, a very, very smart and intelligent man. And I hope you learned something about goal setting and the importance of finding a passion and sticking to it. And it's just another example. His story is another example of why UCSB is such a great place to lay the groundwork for meaningful, meaningful pursuits, either in the academic quarter or on the baseball field. And it's just, it's, yeah, he's, he's just in a, he's found his way into a great place and he started at a great place. And one other thing I just wanted to add was that he mentioned that Fenway Park has two historians <laughs> that work for the team. And it's a big reason why Fenway is the way it is today so i encourage people to go check it out and get a taste of baseball history and the culture of boston and i hope that more teams do this and i hope that we see more international baseball in the future that is received with a big audience and where culture is highlighted and it's seen on the field and you learn about places like mexico like the dominican republic like japan and korea and anywhere else that baseball is played and other sports are played for that matter because it's important and it's it's something where people can express themselves on the field and they can express themselves with 
their their brothers and their sisters and say, this is where we come from, this is who we are, and we want to share it with the world. So I just want to leave you with that, and we'll talk to you next week on the Gaucho Night Podcast. Next Sunday, we will have some pictures, some more pictures, and a guest host, Max Kelton, joins us with Jack Dashwood, Ben Brecht, and Chris Lincoln. So that'll be next week, and that one was also a riot. So uh, we'll talk to you next week. Please stay safe, keep being social distant, and uh, learn some things, And uh, as I hope you learned on today's pod. So uh, keep on keeping on. Go Chose. <laughs>